Hello and welcome to another episode of the Longball Football Podcast, a weekly podcast by two brothers about all things football in Portugal. You listen to myself, Albert, and as always, I'm joined by my brother Barney. How's it going, Barney? How's things? Yeah, we're good, man. Um, I've got a question for you. I think it was a question I've asked before in the podcast, but I, it's um, I wanted to see if you change your mind at all. Um, <laughs> as about a play, we're probably going to discuss a little bit in the middle. I've seen Julia Draxler sign, and um, mm. what I really liked was that he. You know, a, a European player, a player like, you know, German pl- player. It's been in mainland Europe for a long time. But what I love is that he completely em- embraced the sort of, I know it's not just the Portuguese football, but, you know, this, the squad number game in Portugal, <laughs> you know. When we're gonna, is it the 93? Yeah, you know, yeah. I think, that, I don't know if that's anything to do with the year he was born or like if it's like number seven. Or like, Must be the year he was born, surely. I thought it's because he likes number seven. You know, oh, okay. 100 minus, I don't know. But anyway, the question was, if, if, if um, <laughs> I'm trying to think of a club who would need your services right now. <laughs> I mean, any Portuguese club who's seen my performance down on the five side is probably not going to come calling anytime soon. But on the off chance, I did something Portuguese. Do you know what I have thought about this? My number is number three, right? But um, it is a bit weird because I, I'm not, I'm more like a central midfielder, but I still like to wear number three because well, when I was... No, go ahead. Yeah, I suppose so. So he was a striker, but I like it because when I was in secondary school, I played left back. So they gave me the number three shirt. So I always wore number three, and even though now I don't play left back, or do sometimes, but um, yeah, even as a right-footed centre midfielder, I'd still wear number three. That'd be my number. What would yours be? Go on. I know you must have thought about this. You must go to bed thinking about this every night. <laughs> well, as you, I've always liked number eighteen because of Paul Scholes, right? But um, I would go eighty-one just because I can. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> just to mix it up. <laughs> it's a maverick move, but you know, says a lot about you. Um, do you want to tell the listeners why your your background has upgraded so much? I mean, we always talk about Barney's background, you know, and we're having a little joke off camera. Barney's come a long way. He spent the whole of the first two series of the Lobble Football Podcast broadcasting from the floor of his flat. Uh, even the first few episodes of this season, but now you've got a lovely looking background. You're uh, on a seat. With a, with a lamp behind you. Got a lamp behind me, got a desk. Um, <laughs> and like, you might notice I'm in, in the loft, but um, which, but uh, that's because the beauty of it is that the, the internet cable comes through into the loft. So I'm going to have prime <laughs> internet in the, in the room I wanted. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's all good, man. <laughs> you can get your dodgy opinions across in crystal clarity. Exactly, exactly. Absolutely. Um, well, a lot to talk about on this week's show. We're going to get into all the games of the week very shortly. There was a lot of controversy in some of those games, so plenty to discuss. But there's a couple of things we want to say first. Thank, Firstly, a big thank you to Patrick, who joined us uh, last week. Patrick Ribeiro from Portugal.net. He was uh, a great guest, someone we wanted to have on for a long time. We were finally able to make it happen uh, last week, and I think he was you know, fantastic to have on the show. Just his insight and his perspective. Um you know, me and Barney was talking about having a third person's perspective is always interesting on this show because we sort of chat to each other a lot and forget that there are other opinions available. So always good to have those opinions on the show. Uh, and also a big thank you to the legend Nino Torres from Gold TV, the legendary uh, announcer on Gold TV, does Portuguese football, who had us on his Instagram live video. Uh, if you go on Nino's Instagram, I think you can still watch it. I think it's still there. It stays afterwards. So um uh, you can go and watch that. We had a really good chat. He was fresh off commentating uh, Benfica versus Pastor Ferreira when they won 3-2 and almost lost, similar to what we're going to talk about in a second. So uh, 
big thank you to those guys. Me and Barney have been talking a lot about having more people on the show recently. You might have noticed that we've had more guests already than we normally do have in the season. So we're putting it open to you guys. If there's anyone you would like to hear on the show, any journalist you're a fan of, uh, someone whose opinion you respect, or anyone you think we should be collaborating with, just let us know. And uh, yeah, we'll see what we can do. But uh, a big thank you to those guys for uh, the collaborations last week. Um, before we talk about the games, uh, we should firstly mention that European football is back, Barney. Officially, the uh, excitement really kicked in when the draw was made. But now this week, uh, the games are finally starting. We're recording this on Tuesday. Benfica is due to kick off against Maccabi Hyper in about 20 minutes. Uh, tomorrow, Porto will play the Tacoma Madrid. Sporting will play Frankfurt. And on Thursday, Braga will play Malmo. Obviously, we can't cover those games in, in depth because by the time this podcast comes out, those games will probably be over. But just your thoughts on Champions League starting this week. How are you looking forward to it? I sort of go through a mixture of feelings because as as people listen to this podcast, no, we, we do... We're always rooting for the underdog, right? And, and and the smaller teams. And here comes the Champions League, which is, you know, just this massive tournament full of money and, and the, the best yeah. clubs in the world. And it and you feel like it's a, oh, a little bit like, Bleh. but then hearing the music today, see, see, <laughs> seeing like the teams on the plane, like, you know, do you know what I mean? it's, <laughs> it's yeah. just like, I'm, I'm really excited. And I, because, you know, particularly because recently we've had a few. We've seen some of the Portuguese clubs have some amazing games, amazing ties. I, I, I do love the the, the knockout stages. I, I think that's that's definitely my favorite bit, just because of the drama. I'm really excited to see that these teams this year do it, particularly Benfica, particularly Sporting as well, actually, because I think um, they've they've got more to offer in this competition. So yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, I agree with that. It's been interesting to see how Benfica do tonight. I'm excited to see them. Hopefully, this time next week we'll be talking about some some good results in Europe. Uh, so fingers crossed. Uh, it's funny you mentioned the players. On the plane, I did enjoy today Porto posting their pitch for players flying to Madrid. You know, most clubs in the Champions League will fly out in their suits. Porto went for what looked like a lovely merino wool jumper and a pair of jeans. Very uh, exudes confidence, I think. They should all um, they should have all done the conscious hour with a tight knit like a <laughs> <laughs> really tight jumper. Yeah. Charcoal grey. <laughs> you can tell who leads the discussions when it comes to team uniform in, in the dressing room. And um, before we get into the games. Of course, we should talk about the transfer window, which, as everybody says, slammed shut last week. The transfer window's over and we had quite a busy deadline day. So just quickly, Barney, your reaction to some of the moves that we saw happen on on deadline day. I've kind of written down a few of the main ones, I think. Benfica signed two players. Julian Draxler, World Cup winner, joins on loan from PSG. John Anthony Brooks also joins as a free agent. He last played in Germany as well, the American centre-back. Braga brought in Juros Rasic, uh, a defensive midfielder who I believe played for Famalicao not long ago. Uh, Samuel Portugal moved from Porto to Porto for a deal which could rise to up to €4 million, Euros, depending on how much of the players' rights they decide to take up. Uh, Arta Gomez went from Estoril to Sporting again for €4 million. Willian Rocha from Porto sure many. I'm not sure many people saw this one. Signed for CSK Moscow for €2 million, Euros, which is a very decent fee for Porto and but a very key player for them. Uh, and then an interesting one for us, finally, Mikey Johnston, who the Scottish winger who joined Vittoria on loan from Celtic. I don't think anybody saw that coming, but as we well know, the last time a uh, young Scottish player came to the league, it didn't end too badly at all. I'm excited to see him. Uh, yeah. You know, we've, we've got two now, because Jordan Holsgrove's uh, Pastor Ferreira. So, yeah, no, I'm really excited about that. I mean, um, I'll start with Draxler because... Um, 
no sort of real rumors uh, before this move. It sort of just suddenly came out of the blue on the day, didn't it? And I think it's an excellent signing, like really, really good. I mean, of course, it'll be interesting to, you know, should we be comparing him to Sarabia? You know, a, a PSG player on loan, the quality that Sarabia instantly showed in this league and and, and the, the class he had. I, I'm really excited to see if Draxler can do the same. I've been really impressed with Benfica's transfer business as a whole, you know, because you, you also mentioned Brooks, the centre-back. On a free, you know, we've had um, there's, there's a couple of players like that now. Ristic as well, the left back they got um at the very beginning, another free agent. But the, both these players, I think, are great business in the fact that you're not paying a transfer fee, but also players that come with good, good quality players that have done it in top leagues and elsewhere in Europe. So I think that's that's a really really good bit of business. Yeah, I like the Draxler one as well. I think the big difference between him and Sarabia is that I think Draxler comes with more of an injury history. So we know that Draxler's not arriving in his best condition. So that will be the question mark. Can they improve his condition? Can they get him in good form? Because he doesn't have to get even get back to the level that he was playing at, you know, when he played for Germany in the World Cup final, won a World Cup with Germany. So he, even if he just gets to 75, 80% of that, he'll still be a very useful player. He was obviously, you know, lined up if the Ricardo Horta deal didn't come off. As soon as it didn't come off, they kind of actioned this deal for Draxler. So it was very interesting. Um, to see that the one the one I want to get your opinion on though, Barney, is Samuel Portugal because I'm really torn about this. He joins Porto for I think it was like an initial 1.5 million euros, and depending what percentage of his pass they decide to buy, it could go up to four million euros. But I just find this such a bizarre deal because everyone who listens to the show knows how much I rate and you rate Samuel Portugal. Right, we we think he's a very good keeper in this league, one of the best keepers outside the top two three teams. But why is he then going to Porto, who have the best keeper in the league and also a very experienced, capable backup? The only thing I can think is that Samuel Portugal is hedging his bets, saying, well, all right, I might be second fiddle or even third fiddle now. But if Porto decides to cash in on Diogo Costa next summer and he's signed a deal which keeps him there, is that perhaps his thinking? Maybe he's hoping that this is a long-term plan, that he can become the Porto first-team keeper uh, maybe in a year's time. I, I don't know what what do you make of it because for me I was a little bit torn by this. For me, it's a very complicated deal, man. I, I, there's so many ways you can think about it. I think, I mean, the big, first question for me is why why are Porto going for a, a goalkeeper? I think the point you made there about potentially future proofing them and 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 planning for the departure of uh, Diogo Costa is uh, is probably the thinking there. The, the main thing I have, Albert, and it's just a personal thing, I have nothing against the player deciding to make a move from Portman to Porto, you know, the wages, the, the prestige, everything like that. But it's it's just, we've seen it several times where players within this league, great players for their the clubs at the other end of the table, just decide to make the move and then just disappear, you know. And we, we thought, I mean, it was I was shocked to see um, the other Portsmouth player, Fad Mufi, rumoured as well of a move to Porto because once again, you know, he's been fantastic this start of this season and you just know he'd just go there to sometimes make the bench. So I'm happy for Samuel Portugal, of course, but um, yeah, I would have, you know, I, I, I like watching him play and making saves. So, yeah. The William Russia, can I just quickly chat on that? Because I think... Two million. I, I'm just surprised other clubs in this league didn't go for him. I mean, he'd obviously be getting, uh, I assume, far bigger wages at CFA in Moscow. And and he, he's he's been rumoured for a long time of a move away to a different country. It was, was China um, a few months ago. But um, I, I another great player, and I, I wish him all the luck. But um, yeah, I think I think he could have done a, a job at another club in this league, to be honest. 
I think he's at a difficult level, Barney, because I, I don't think he's so good that one of the big three are going to come in and say, look, you're going to be one of our four centre-back options. I don't think he's quite good enough for that. And thinking practically in terms of the players that these clubs have got now, I don't really know where he would fit in at Porto or Sporting or really Benfica. So I couldn't quite see him going to one of those clubs. And then, you know, for maybe a club like Braga, you could consider it, but even for them, two million euros is quite a big investment. So I think he was only ever going to go abroad. And look, CSK Moscow it is two million euros, a good fee for Porto Menendez. They've raked in, what, three and a half million going up to a possible six for their players on deadline days. So it's very good business uh, for them. And I'm sure the player will do very well. Um, just a couple more transfers I wanted to mention quickly. Vertonghen left on left Benfica on loan for Anderlecht. Carlos Vinicius, who, let's be honest, I completely forgot, played for Benfica, went on loan to Fulham. Um, East Suleiman, a guy we're a big fan of, has joined Villa Frankens on loan from Vitoria. So it's great to see him playing. In Portugal, again, we wish them all the best of luck. And last but not least, Barney, Adele Tarapt, who the dream is finally over. Uh, he rescinded with Benfica. His next move, we don't know yet. It probably won't be Portugal, so it really could be the end of an era. I know, I think it is. I mean, I'd love to see him stay. I don't know what club would pick him up. I, I, I would if that was any club. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it might be the end of an era for us. I'll tell you what, if he's a free agent, Barney will start a kind of GoFundMe and I'll see if I can afford him for one week at my uh, Wednesday five-a-side league. Um, before we round up on transfers, we had a comment from Patrick who joined us on last week's show uh, when I tweeted about stuff we wanted people to, people might want us to discuss this week. He asked us for our early predictions for signing of the season and flop of the season. So I know I'm putting you on the spot here, so I'll go first. My early prediction for signing of the season, I think will have to be David Neres from Benfica, the form that he's playing in. Um, I think it's pretty incredible. And then flop of the season? Well, that one is a lot harder. I'm going to go for a player who, who already has flopped, as they say. It was uh, Shiga Frelli, who moved from Gil Vicente to, to Chavez, couldn't get in the team and has already left. So he's my flop of the season so far. <laughs> so I was really excited to see him play, to be honest. Yeah, that was a nice move. I thought it was going to be a good opportunity for him, but... Um... I like the Neres show, but I'm going to stick with Banzo. I think I've said that a couple of times now, but I think he, he'll be signing this season. And um, Flop, this might be... Because uh, Flop's a hard one, man, because like, it's, it's quite early. And but then and also, you can't help but think about the price tag. But I'm, I'm going to go with uh, Trincao. Uh, just if, they, <laughs> if, they pur- if the purchase... If they make the purchase and you know he hasn't done it, I think, yeah, possibly. But hey, plenty of time for him to prove me wrong. And plenty of time. Don't want him to turn into the next Ruben Vinagre, do we? Not at all. Um, All right, let's move on and talk about the games of the week. And we're going to start with Benfica, who played Vizela. Now, obviously, they were aiming to stay top of the table with another win, which they managed to achieve. But, of course, it wasn't without controversy. There were two big refereeing decisions, which, in my opinion, really ruined this game. The first uh, was a second yellow card. Uh, awarded to Gonzalo Ramos, wrongly penalised for diving and sent off despite clear contact from a Vizela defender, a decision which didn't go to VAR because, of course, VAR do not check yellow card decisions, even if it's a second yellow card that leads to a sending off. And, of course, the second incident, Barney, was the now infamous incident which saw a VAR award a 98th-minute penalty to Benfica from which they would go on to score and win the game given for a handball, which looked extremely harsh as it hits the Rosetta defender in the back and then ricochets onto his elbow, which looks pretty close to his body and hardly in an unnatural position. Firstly, Barney, we've got to deal with these 
incidents head on before we get into the game. What did you make of those two decisions? I think whenever a referee makes a corner and diving, it is really hard because it's like, particularly when he's not using VAR, you know, it's because it, it happens so quickly. But what was, what was sort of agonizing was when we did see the sort of slow motion replays, you could clearly see the Bazella defender trying to get his body in contact with Ramos. That was what was really hard. I mean, I think it's it's a shame, but I, and surprisingly, I feel like I'm going to say a similar thing about the penalty as well, because like as, as annoying as it was, and I hate the handball rule, but I understand why it was given. Do you know what I mean? It's And it's perhaps the rules that are the problem, not sort of the refereeing decisions in this one. I don't understand what else the, the defender could do for the handball, because it, 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 you know, he's trying to keep his, his arm as close to his body as possible. And But this is the nature of the handball rule. You know, it's it seems so much more in favour of the attacking team nowadays, so... I guess that's why it was given. It was tough at the time. I mean, to make my position perfectly clear, my opinion on this is one that the first the first incident, the Gonzalo Ramos second yellow, for me, quite clearly not a second yellow, not a dive. But not only that, I am of the opinion that that is a penalty. And I know that it, I know that to be totally honest, it's not very popular, not very fashionable to kind of argue Benfica's case in in these incidents, right? Because you know the the perception of Benfica is that. They're the biggest club in the country and all the decisions go their way. So I know it's not very popular to to argue in their favour, but I think we have to be completely impartial and fair in these situations. And I 100% think that it's a, it's a penalty. I mean, the defender, he may, be, he may be accidental, he may have fallen over, but the point is Gonzalo Ramos does really well to control the ball, cut past the defender, the defender takes him out and it's a penalty. I don't really understand where the argument comes from for that. Real disappointment that VAR couldn't look at that decision because like I said it was only a yellow card decision and not a red so it didn't even get looked at do you think there's any shouting sort of the referee in that situation be able to say like it's neither do you know it's, it's not a, it's not a yeah he could have played on yeah, he could have yeah. played on and do you know what I could have accepted that more than more than what happened I could have accepted that although I wouldn't quite agree with it but then of course the second one I don't think that's I don't think that's a hand but I think that's so harsh you know I I, I accept that it's not very close because that's what some people were doing some people were comparing this to a similar incident that happened in the Braga game which wasn't given a penalty and that one wasn't given because it was like point blank range this one wasn't point blank range you know the defender's got space to move and time to turn his body but he turns his body to block the shot it hits his back his elbows right down by his body I don't think that's a penalty but I think the point here is the, the, the referee's got two decisions wrong, one in Benfica's favour, one against Benfica's favour, right? So in, in some weird universe, you could maybe argue that it evened out, right? And, and Benfica got what, what they deserved. But it's not right, is it? It's not right. Two wrongs don't make a right, and it shouldn't be like this. The whole point of VAR is that it helps us to get to the correct decisions. And yet somehow we've got two wrong decisions which cancel each other out. And rather than being left at the end of the game with, a feeling of satisfaction that what is fair has has come to pass. We're left with this feeling that the referee is, has robbed robbed us of a proper game because that's what kills me so much about these two decisions is that the referee and the VAR in this game have robbed us as viewers of this game of the opportunity of watching a fair football match because now we just sort of sit here and go, well, look, my, my opinion is I think Benfica were good enough to win the game of football. But not like this, right? Not like this. This is not how it should be. We should not be in these situations where it's going tit for tat. Two decisions are cancelling each other out. And I think it was two really poor decisions. And, and like I said at the beginning, I think it ruined the game. And, you know, because we are talking about Portuguese football as well, you can't help think that 
maybe the guy was trying to even things out because he realized exactly <laughs> exactly you, you know referees are human beings maybe that's in the back of his mind maybe he thinks i got the first one wrong because he gave the penalty very quickly didn't he so yeah you know, that's yeah. always in the back of your mind the one of the question i wanted to ask you about this barney was what impact you think stuff like this has on portuguese football's reputation uh internationally we had a message on instagram from one of our listeners from sweden called jonas so thank you for the message jonas but he was basically asked about this he's a listener from sweden and he sent me a message saying look to be totally honest i'm feeling a bit exasperated i'm feeling a little bit done with portuguese football because how can you try and appeal to an international audience when this is the type of thing that's happening in your game um and i think it's a very fair point you know how can portuguese football which is trying to improve which is trying to improve its marketability, you know, trying to get to a place that maybe the Air Divisie is in where it has international audiences and it has not just an international audience, but international credibility. How do we get to that place when we still have decisions like this going on? I think personally it is very damaging for the reputation of the league. Yeah, absolutely is. And I think uh, there's so much to say on this topic. Uh, I mean, first of all, you can just look at the, the treatment of the referees and, and, and the actions of some of the, the benches, the, the coaching staff, uh, towards referees during games, you know that that certainly won't help, and that like it's the thing we say here in England, isn't it? Uh, you know what you see on the TV will happen right up and down the whole pyramid of football, and, and that's not going to help the development of referees if they're if they're scared or feel intimidated by anyone at any point. Um, but then also we have to potentially look at the the what actions are being put in place to sort of help these referees improve, and you know the 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 thing that's still going on that started last season is um. Uh, some Portuguese referees going over to France and uh, to refer- the occasional game of League One and, and French referees coming here. Uh, uh, yeah, but like, <laughs> what, <laughs> that's fine. But like, I don't know what that necessarily that will do. You know what I mean? And it's a tough one because you mentioned the era division there. And I've obviously that that's, that's the, the closest league in terms of coefficient. And it's, it's a, it's a good comparison. I think the Portuguese league has a global audience, probably possibly bigger than the Eredivisie, but you're exactly right. And and Jonas makes a, you know, Jonas is a really good example of someone who's trying to get into this league, trying to watch the games for enjoyment and then, you know, coming away just feeling deflated but by the, the refereeing decisions. And I, I, I haven't got an answer, I'm afraid. I, I know I've said a, a lot of things there, but, you know, there are so many bad calls, you know, and also like, it's usually we're talking about refereeing decision in a, in a big free game, right? Because, you know, th- that's the one that's getting the most activity on Twitter. That's the one that's getting the most, you know, retweets, blah, 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 people. but it, it happens in so many games with so many of the smaller clubs and, and it affects everyone. And, and, and it's, it, some cases at times it's just so not fair and and it, and it can be that it, it can have huge effects on the team's position in the table absolutely and it, you know the biggest shame is of course that this is the biggest topic of discussion that came from this game a game which had fantastic moments of of great football and it, the irony was i was genuinely watching this game thinking if this was being broadcast to an international audience this would be a great game for people to watch uh, until those decisions, because it was great football on show. And let's talk about the match itself, Barney, because obviously the first example of great football that we had, great drama in this game, was the fact that Vizela, the underdog in this team, the much smaller side, uh, who've only recently been promoted to Premier League, came to the Estadio de Luz and got the first goal, which was a fantastic counter-attack. Uh, if I counted the seconds uh, from the having the ball in their own box 
to having the ball in the back of Benfica's neck. And it was 11 seconds. It was a really blistering counter-attack. Um, it was scored by debutant Macedonian striker Osmajic. Um, I have to say, Barney, when I when I started watching this game, I was looking at him and I thought, he looks off the pace. He looks a bit sluggish. He looks a bit big. I don't really see how he fits into Vizela's style of football. And even as he was breaking away, as the chance, the ball came through to him, I was looking at him thinking, he's not going to make it. He hasn't got the legs. But fair play to him. He really carried the ball well. He held off the defender. And it was a great finish to put the ball in the back of the net. I don't know what you made of it, but I was really impressed by by the way Vizela played in that first half. It was great counter-attacking football. Yeah, because he, he also took it, like he knocked it too far wide. Like it He was did, yeah, quite, yeah. But I mean, it was like millimetre perfect that he finished. It just like, it literally had to cut the post game to, um, and go in to uh, get past Odysseus. Um, I, I thought he, I really liked him, you know, and and... I think by the end of the game, you know, I was thinking we've said we said already that they needed to replace Castiano, they needed to replace Chatini. Um and and he he sort of fits the bill in sort of his his physicality. You know, he looked, I thought he looked all, all right. And yeah, I mean Vizella actually drew at the the lose last year, so they've they've done well here. And 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 once again, I think in this game they're just just set up so well. You you said about the counter attack. That that's exactly what they need to do. You know, hit hit, hit pace and, and get bodies forward and, and commit. And then, and they they really really did that. I also um wanted to praise um Buntic, the 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 new goalkeeper who they signed. Um, I think he's a German. He's dual nationality, German uh, Croatian, but uh, he he's quietly been really solid in goal. Like and and uh, definitely an improvement on last year. And he made some good saves in this game. Which certainly helped them. I was just so impressed with Vizela, their whole performance. And and I don't know, I remember saying this last year though, but I do feel like there's something about Benfica Stadium for, for other <laughs> clubs in this league where they just so many people step up. And that like, you it's know, there's several games last year where they had really tough games against teams you wouldn't expect them to have tough games against. And yeah. Yeah. Well, even last weekend, you know, the game before this, they beat Passos, but they had to come from behind in that game as well. So they've had to do it twice in two games in their own stadium, come from behind against teams much lower down in the table than them. I want to ask you one more question, Barney, because obviously we've talked about, we've praised Vizela for how they played good counter-attacking football. Let's be honest, a good big part about playing good counter-attacking football is defending well and defending in numbers against a big team. Um, I'm just interested because we had a couple of uh, comments on Twitter about this. Um, people suggesting that the way that Vizela played is not a good thing. You know, that smaller clubs shouldn't go to Benfica, Porto and Sporting and and sit back and, and, and defend. They should try and go out and attack. What do you make of comments like that? Because my argument would be that Vizela so far this season have played Benfica and Porto, they played against both those teams in the same way. They defended deep and then tried to get them off on a counter-attack. And in both those games, they only lost by one goal and came very close to getting a draw. And for a team like Vizela, I think that's pretty much the best that they can hope for. So I'm interested to get your opinion on, on this subject. It's so I think it's so hard to say because I think we've seen examples of, of both cases working and, and, and going wrong. So, you know... You think about Real beating Porto there and how they just went for it in the first half, three goals, and that's that's the game done. For, and because they went for it, and then you think about other games. My mind's drawn back to a Maritimo game against several years ago. Is it against Porto? But anyway, where they, like you said, backs against the wall the whole game and just got two fortunate, not mm-hmm. fortunate, but you know, yeah. they had two chances, two goals on the counter attack. 
I don't think you can criticize anyone, you know. I think this league is so tough and if you go for it, it's also so, so easy for the for Porto or Benfica or Sporting to just go and go in and hit you the other way around and suddenly you're you're two or three goals behind yourself and there's no way of you getting back in it. So I don't know. The only thing about Vizela that you know they still lost, you know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but then again, they lost, but then the, the counterpoint to that is if they'd gone out and tried to press Benfica, they tried to press high and, and win the ball back in Benfica's own half. They could have got done on the counter attack themselves four, five, six times. So maybe they'd be looking at a 6 0 loss. I definitely agree that the counterpoint to this is uh, the way that Rio have got that win against Porto last week by winning 3 0. But I think on balance, that was just a very different game. You know, Porto were there for the taking in that first half. Rio have smelt blood and knew that this was an opportunity to get a result and they took it. Whereas in this game, Benfica were really on top dominating from the first minute so really Vizela had no choice but to try and hang on and do what they did but of course Benfica did overpower them and, and one of the other great moments from this game which was overshadowed by those refereeing decisions was uh, the goal of the week one of the goals of the season so far that came courtesy of David Neres a player that we've just spoken about as potentially one of the best signings this window he's certainly looking like one of the best players in the league at this moment in time he did what he does so well which is pick the ball up on the right and cut into his left foot and fire an absolute rocket into the back of the net and it was so funny because you could tell the Rosella defender was thinking don't let him onto his left foot and he doesn't he shows him onto his right but then he can't stop him coming back onto his left he fires a fantastic shot uh, into the left-hand side of the Vizela net. And it was that moment of magic that Benfica needed because they were dominating the game, but they were struggling to unlock the Vizela defence. And it was just a moment of magic for one of the best players in the league. That did it for Benfica and got them on the way to their victory. Forgive me because I, I I can't remember where I saw this on Twitter, but I saw an excellent thread sort of um, digging into the way that um, Benfica been playing under Schmidt and how... Mm. Uh, the team works as a whole and sort of in, in the defensive moments and, and the, the pressing as well. One of the points on this thread was that David Neres is perhaps the weakest player in the Benfica team for the way he contributes in the defensive moments off out off the ball. The thing is, though, he's going to do this and like you, you're going to have to let him off. And and, and I think Roger Smith recognises that, you know, like you're not just going to, he's not going to put a team of workhorses out because he's got this player who can who can yeah. do a moment of magic like that. I think when you said he could be, well be signing of the season, I think that's an excellent shout. You know, he's, he was so good. And, and, I think Benfica as a whole, you know, you mentioned the Passos game uh, earlier in the the week, which we, did, we didn't get to cover, where, you know, that was another tough game for them, but they've still came through. You know, they've shown great character in these last couple of games. It's not all like plain sailing and goals galore, but, you know, in, in these tough games, they've kept fighting and they've come away with two wins. So, you know, they deserve a lot of credit for that. Absolutely. And they sit, they sit at the top of the table, unbeaten with a perfect record for a reason. They've won the glamorous way. And also they've won the unglamorous way. Let's move on, Barney, and talk about Braga because, of course, they are the other team trying to keep up with the pace that Benfica is setting. Braga wanted to extend their winning run to four games after a draw on the opening day of the season. Uh, they would have had to overcome their Minho derby rivals, Vitoria, in one of the best fixtures in the Portuguese football calendar. They did just that with a 1-0 win, but it wasn't a walkover. It was another game that needed a 98th-minute winner, which came courtesy of Vitor Tormena, who headed in from Ricardo with a free kick to send his teammates, fans and manager into ecstasy. We said it before the game 
that anything can happen in this fixture. Form goes out the window. And I think Victoria played a really good game, defended very well and probably would have been really disappointed to walk away from this game with nothing after quite a strong performance. I think Victoria's defence is something I wanted to, I wanted to talk about for a while now because I think the you know the team that Moreno put out in this game was very defensive. You know, Andre Andre back from the dead in, in, in midfield. Um and they basically went with a back five and four in front of them to try and close the gaps to um Bands and Vitinha and had Anderson Silver up front as well, who they could, you know, lump it up to if they needed. But what we saw in this game, you know, it's, it's the defensive improvement Moreno has made to this Victoria team. And, and it cannot go understated how much of an improvement it is. I mean, there's individuals as well. Amaro had, for me, his, his coming-of-age game here. You know, yes, he gave away the pen, but his overall performance showed me that all those promising moments and glimpses we've seen, you know, over, over the past year or so, but it all came together in this one game. And I just thought, you know, you've got to remember he's only 20 years old and... and they, they've needed a player like that in their back line for a while now. I thought Idrissa Bamba as well, another 20-year-old, who's been really good all season, sort of slowing into that def- defensive line. You know, these are two players coming into a team with, with the guidance of Moreno and they've shored the defence up. You know, we're not getting these stupid mistakes. We're not getting these disorganised lines that we've so often seen with Vittorio over the, uh, recently. And, you know, we got Amaro got a yellow card in the second minute. I think they had three players on a yellow card within, within 25 minutes and, Usually that'd be a, a guaranteed red for for Victoria, right? Because you know, you know, but but it didn't come, and and they did, they did exceptionally well. I mean, this is this is the Braga team. No one's done this to Braga this season so far. And so yeah, I think it's. I was so so impressed with Victoria. All right, even Sporting who got a draw off them had to score three goals in order to do that. So yeah, it was definitely a good performance from Victoria. It was funny. I also noticed that they seem to bring in some players who've not featured so far this season that have kind of been frozen out. George Fernandez started at centre-back. Andre Andre, as you mentioned, the guy who I completely forgot was still on on the books. I thought he'd moved on last year. They obviously wanted to bring in experienced players who understood the fixture. I think that was the key thing. It was about playing a team that understood the gravity of the fixture and it very nearly worked. It was a great atmosphere in the stadium. I think there was about 22,000 mm. people there. So it was really packed out. They did a really good job of, of making it um, an occasion. But as we alluded to, it wasn't exactly the free scoring Braga that we've seen in recent weeks. You know, people who hoped for a high scoring derby didn't quite get that. It was still an interesting spectacle nonetheless. Um, Braga, though, obviously, Ricardo Horton missed the penalty. I think there were one or two other good chances that from players like Simon Banza, who you might expect to score, that, that, that couldn't do it. Um, so, but as we said, they were coming up against a good Victoria team. So it would have been pleasing for them and their fans to see them get over the line and get all three points. I know it's such an obvious thing to say, but there's a massive difference between three points and one point in this league. You know, there's a massive difference. So to get that last minute goal um, would have been fantastic for the team and, and showed really good mentality. What did you make of, of the scenes after the Tormena goal, Barney? Manager Arthur George literally jumping into the arms of Tormena to celebrate... He's an interesting character. He's really starting to make an impression on the league for me. Now, I'll be the first to admit from my own ignorance that when he got the job, I pretty much just saw it as the youth manager getting a promotion, maybe a kind of cheap option as their new manager after losing Cavalio. Um, But he's so much more than that. He's He's gotten the team playing fantastic football, as we've seen. And he's clearly got a connection with the players. And he's clearly got a connection with the club and the fans. You know, the fans will absolutely love seeing stuff like that. So 
I'm I'm really impressed by him and, and similar to the way that Victoria fielded a team that understood this fixture. Braga have got a manager who understands the importance of games like this and understands the privilege that comes with being Braga manager. Oh, but I really want to say cliche and I want to do it right, you know. <laughs> <laughs> He, well, he's Braga through and through, man. <laughs> he is. <laughs> and, he, and I think he did excellent things at the um, with the youth team as well. So, like, I, I, th- I think that's that, what you're chatting about there, about the, the celebration at the end. I think that it says a lot because Tormena as well, the defender who's been there a while but never really had a nailed-on spot or been a, like a, a very important figure in, in this Braga team, been absolutely fantastic all season on 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 for George and and you know I, I the whole of that back line actually I, I think Tomen and Nikati looked like a really sh- strong pair Fabiano right back I thought was brilliant in this game so so good and I just wrote down Braga last year under Carvalho and the year before they they probably wouldn't have won this the way the game panned out and I know it's just one moment and you know a free kick potentially a bit lucky but. I don't know. I just feel there's. There, I said it with Patrick the other week. So there's just something there, man. I just feel that the, the, there's a feeling within the stadium, and, and and I think it was really good for you to point out that the, how many fans are in the stadium because I know I only ever watch it on TV, but I, I still feel like I haven't seen that atmosphere like that at, mm-hmm. at, at Braga, you know, for for, for a while. It just this yeah. something's different there, man. We saw a great atmosphere in the Europa League, didn't we? In that game they played against Rangers, they did a really good job of organising a TIFO and having, you know, flares and things like that. It was a great atmosphere then. But I think definitely in the league, maybe there's just not been the same excitement around being mm. a Braga fan, which is interesting because they haven't done too badly. But you can definitely, as you say, you can definitely feel something building. And I think, like you, this time last year, I don't think they get over the line and win this game, but they just have the momentum at the moment, don't they? You just watch a Braga game knowing that they're going to win. And when your team is in that, in that moment, you know, it's the best feeling in the world. Um, let's move on and talk about Porto then, Barney. Obviously, we made an awful lot of their loss to Rio Ave last weekend and a response was absolutely needed. We speculated about Sergio Contessao's stubbornness and what, if anything, he would do to change things in terms of personnel. A fair play to him. He did ring the changes and they benefited from it as they had a 2-0 win away at Shield percent. Joao Mario, Marcano, Zaidu, Bruno Costa and Evan Nilsson were all dropped and in came David Carmo for his debut. Wendell at right back, Stephen Eustachio in midfield, Galeno on the wing and Tony Martinez up front. It's fair to say that those changes paid off. Tony Martinez obviously scored the consolation against Riara last week and he looked very good in this game. Didn't get a goal this time, but still a good performance. Galeno has also looked really good coming off the bench. One of the few players in that Porto team who was looked at in any danger of cutting open that Rio Ave side. He started the game and I think was better for it. Got a goal in this game, which was really important. And of course, Steven Eustachio, who found himself with a rare start in, in the centre of midfield, winded up with a man of the match performance and two assists. Let's start with Eustachio, Barney, because I think it's fair to say he's not exactly made the impact that we hoped he would since joining Porto. You know, we've said so many times about Porto signing players from mid-table clubs and they don't quite come off. We feared he would be one of those. But he's absolutely laid down a marker for Sergio Conte sound out about what he can do in that midfield. I think to see him being benched for Bruno Costa says a lot about the minutes that he was was really being given, what the chances he was being given. Very few, but he's made a huge statement to his manager there. Uh, and I think 
the level of performance that he that he showed he can bring to this team was was fantastic. He was the standout player in this game among all the Porto players. Yeah, he just really he really showed his creativity and and what he can bring to a team going forward. You know, and I think perhaps to me the most important thing about this was the the combination of him and Arube because it felt it felt safe and 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 by safe I mean you know it, they they won't get caught out much and 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 with an eye on the Champions League as we have, that's really important to this point. And, and I, I, I sort of, oh, well, I hope he's shown enough, but I think that that combination is the midfield pairing. You know, I know they've got Grujic, but, and I know Otavio can play as well sometimes, but for me, there was something about this combination that just, I think, made the, made the midfield look, it was just so balanced, I think is what I'm trying to say. I thought it was really good. And Karma as well, who you mentioned there, I think, him and Pepe was just seeing them. It was just so, it was just so nice. It was something about the the presence of you know a couple two big lads, but graceful. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm not I'm not saying they're as good as these players, but it reminded me a bit of Ferdinand and Vidic. You know when there's a <laughs> I know that sounds like this, but what I'm trying to say is you know there's a there's an air about them. Yeah. They're obviously very good, but there's a there's also a mystique and an aura that adds to a little something extra to them as well I, I, there's nothing to that it's just what I felt you know what I mean <laughs> <laughs> but it was it was so good to see and it's exactly why they bought them and, and you know it's, it's a shame it's taken a, a loss to, for these players to come into the squad this team you know what I mean and and I I, I thought both the, particularly Estacchio and Karma I thought were, were really really good yeah really really good and really really positive for Porto fans to now have something almost to look forward to in the next game, to see these players again and to see them progress. It gives a much better feeling about the team. Tony Martinez, I, I, I wanted to touch on just because he obviously didn't score, but he had, this is a fun fact, Barney, he had two goals ruled out for a combined total of 54 centimetres offside, which is, you know, shows how close he was to getting on the score sheet. Obviously got the goal against Riarav. Um, He came in in place of Evan Ilsen and, you know, Tony's an interesting one. He's been a bit part player at Porto for a while. The whole time he's played for them, really, he's either been behind Morega, behind Taremi, and even last season he found himself behind Evan Nilsson. But do you think it's time for Tony Martinez to be given an extended run in this team as the second striker behind uh, Medi Taremi? On current form, I think he's, you know, their second best striker. And he, he looks really decent. He looks bright, he looks sharp, and he looks ready to score. It's ah, oh, it's such a it's such a tough conundrum because, like you said, Taremi is is not going out of that team. Is finishing this game by the way it was absolutely fantastic. But um, you have Evan Nilsson who, let's be real, if you look at this Porto team, is probably going to be the next big asset sold. And you see, it, 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 it's hands are almost tied and having to play him. But with a play like Tony Martinez, I think, I think there is a place for him in this season, and I think. I wouldn't be surprised if we see it potentially a little bit more in in some of the Champions League games. I think there's a there's a bit more to him than Evan Nelson, and that by that I mean like there's a bit not streetwise, but you know what I'm trying to say. There's a bit more of a, a he seems like a bit more of a clever st- striker. A bit he's he's wise, you know. It's it's another. I know I went on a bit loads about it last week with uh, with Patrick, but like I just feel like there are so many players in this. Porto squad who just haven't been given enough time, and that, that's that's a players that I really like, and I think that's a shame. I wouldn't be surprised if Stakio's bench for the next game, you know, after that performance. But it, it, it's just something we've got to expect for Porto, I guess. Well, we know how stubborn Sergio Constantin will be, so it will be interesting to see how quickly Stakio can make a name for himself in that team. You know, we forget how how long it took for Vitinha and Fabio Vieira to really get 
consecutive starts in the league last season. So maybe he will still have to be patient, but I don't think he's done himself any harm at all with that fantastic performance that he put in. And once again, Barney, I do just want to praise Diogo Costa because we've just spoken about a load of new players that came into the team, but the rock at the back, Diogo Costa, you know, this looks on paper like a solid 2-0 win from Porto, but if you go back and watch the highlights and I watched this game, I counted two clear goal-scoring chances that he saved on his own. So he's really done well to keep a clean sheet and he continues for me to be the best keeper in the league. Um, fantastic performance from him. Zero percent, Barney. Let's talk about them just briefly. Only one win this season. Obviously, they crashed out the Conference League as well, which wasn't great. Is it too early to start getting worried about them, to start thinking that they've really regressed on last season? They've still got good players in that side. They had Fran Navarro starting up front. They had Fujimoto starting in midfield. Borselli on the wings is a good player. They had Marion, the left-back, very good player. Andrew, the goalkeeper, has proven himself to be very good. So there's good players in that side. But they've not won since the opening day of the season against Pastor Ferreira. And we now know, in hindsight, what a pushover Pastor Ferreira were going to be at the beginning of the season. They drew against Family Cow. They, they drew against Mazella. They lost to Aruka. You know, these are not exactly tough opponents that they're going to be coming up against this season, but they've still struggled to get points on the table. I I, I actually think they are in a bit of, in a spot above her, but I think in, in this game, I think the defence really struggled, particularly the fullbacks, and that they were never really offered any real protection. And we, I, th- I think we know how Ivor Vera is not sort of known for his defensive organisation as, as, a, as a manager. And, and then you you know four changes at half time that, that is it's rather drastic and and doesn't really show like a, a manager who sort of knows exactly what he's doing. You know we 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 usually caveat games against the big three as sort of hard to judge for the smaller team. But I know they had the departures, but this this just not a million miles away from the the percent we saw last year. You know, and, and I've just not seen this season. There's been no winning mentality, and and they had that last year. And I guess last year there was no expectation, there was no pressure to get results, and that, and that that certainly helped them get to where they did last year. But there's not any real pressure this year either. That you know, the, the, I think they've had a great transfer window, not a great, but they've had a very good transfer window. You know, considering their departures, you mentioned Marion, Kevin Villodres, Baselli, all decent players, and and we and we should compare them to that. The Passos team, who who went through the same thing, you know, got into Europe, lost key players, and had to rebuild. And we have to say that this Juventus team is in a far stronger position than that Passos team of last year. And but they're not delivering at all. And and something's not right there. But maybe I need a bit more time with the new players. And maybe it's my um, unfair sort of judgment of Ivo Vieira I just um, <laughs> it doesn't fill me with confidence maybe that's it but I don't know I, I I am a little worried for them yeah I agree if I'm going to give them a kind of get out of jail free card I will say maybe the beginning of the season has been a bit disrupted with European football mm. and that kind of whole new adventure so maybe now that that's to one side they'll get the team together get the training up to scratch and then they can start building that team mentality that they need because like you I think they're not on paper, a bad side at all. They've still got a very good squad and we should be expecting much better from them, you know, especially, like I said, those results, only managing to draw against Mazzella and Family Cow and losing to Aruka. So a lot more to come from Gilbertson. They need to up their standards uh, a lot. Well, let's do our next game, by. Let's do Estoril versus Sporting. Just like Porto, Sporting wanting to bounce back from an embarrassing loss. They did that by beating Estoril 2-0 away from home. It was first half goals from St. Just. And Edwards, that got them the win. There were changes again to the sporting team. St. Juice started ahead of Neto. Mateus Reese 
played at left centre-back ahead of Inacio. Marita and Ogate were back as the starting midfield pair with Pote back in attack. And it was that front three of Trincao, Edwards and Pedro Gonçalves that did so well against Rio Ave a few weeks ago. It was a good first half. Um, they got the two goals that they needed. But the second half was absolutely dreadful. The quality levels dropped so much. It was almost painful to watch. But it didn't matter in the end. They got the win that they needed. And let's start uh, with the goal scorers, Barney. Said just an Edward. Said just starting his first game for the club in the league after joining for a pretty hefty transfer fee this summer. It would have been great for him to get 90 minutes under his belt and get a goal to boot. I think he looked excellent. And I think he looked someone who's got good fight and good passion, confident as well. And I think the whole back line actually looked better than previous weeks. And, and I was going back to saying that Patrick was saying last week how there needs to be consistency in, in this 11 to build form. And for me, seeing St. Juice in the team and, and, and Reese in the back three as well, Nuno Santos wing back and Marita and Agati in the middle, the defensive side of the sporting team, for me, that's got to be the foundation, in my opinion. I think that's the strongest combination of players in those positions. And also, it looks like we're going to see, you know, a lot more of this combination of Trincao, Pote and Edwards. I think I was expecting Trincao to be the starlet of this sporting season. But, you know, Ed, Edwards has been so good and, and mainly in positions that's not his best. I actually thought, you know, his he filled me with a bit more confidence playing through the middle in this game. I thought he, he did all right. And, and, and Pote as well has just been so really, really good. So it was a certainly a, a more positive performance from the sporting team that we needed to see. Mm. I definitely agree with that. I thought Edwards did really well. Took his goal very well, very calm finish to round the keeper. Pedro Gonzalez obviously got two assists. The only thing I do disagree with is is, is on Trincao. I, I quite like Trincao. I think he looks okay. He just desperately needs a goal. Like he he's playing like a person, he's playing like a footballer who hasn't scored in a while and, and he needs to get his confidence up. But I, when I watch him play, I, I I think there's a player there who will come out with time, with good coaching. Uh, and with confidence. Of course, Polino's coming back from injury, Barney. I'm interested in your opinion. Do you think he should come straight back into that team? And if he does, who drops out? Because I think Marcus Edwards would feel like he's probably got a starting spot ahead of Trincao at the moment on current form. Trincao, obviously, the big money signing. And then Pedro Gonçalves has started the season very well. So we know how much Ruben Amarin loves um, loves Paulinho. Would you like to see Amarin persist with Paulinho? As the striker, maybe more of a 9.5 false nine type striker, or do you think he should stick with the three players that he's got who have played pretty well in recent games? Yeah, I feel like we've got to a point now where it's like, I think I'm going to say you stick with the current front three and, and use Paulinho for the right games. You know, mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, like the way you look, or, or bring them away, it looks like you need that change in, in the way you're, you're playing, you're attacking. I think I want it to work, you know, Edwards, Trincao, and Pedro Gonzalez. I think I want that to be. Because if I'm honest, it feels like there's there's I know Trinko hasn't scored, but there there's there's goals in that attack. You bring Paulinho in, and suddenly I feel like you know there's a there's there's a one less player who's gonna bang in a, a couple of goals. If you see what I mean, but so yeah, I would I would say I, I want I want I want it to work, and I want Edwards and Trinko and Pedro Gonzalez always stay in this team uh, in the attack. I think I agree with that definitely. There were some still shaky moments for Sporting Bayern, particularly. I thought Adan in goal, which was a bit of a shame. You know, that that decision to sell Luz Maximiano is looking more and more foolish by the week. But of course, hindsight is a wonderful thing. But in general, I think much better signs from sporting. And I think there was a lot of panic around, you know, 
losing two games on a trot and losing two in a challenge. But I think what a performance like this showed was that there's still a good team there. And with time and with confidence will come improvement. Uh, do you want to quickly touch on the signing of um, Arthur Gomez from Astral for, for Sporting? Because it's another sort of winger. It's not quite as an out-and-out striker. And I think potentially sort of implies that perhaps Amarin's looking to keep with a more fluid attack than than having a sort of vocal point striker. It, I'm just interested to hear your opinion because it, it was just sort of a, for me, it just seemed like a left field signing, just sort of not, didn't really properly understand it. I think he's an okay player, but, you know, considering that Porto got um, Andre Franco for 4 million as well, you know, the, 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 for the same price tag they're getting, Arthur Gomez, I don't know. It, it, it just seems a little bit of a panic deal potentially. The downside for me is that I don't think a player of his type was a priority. I think his striker was a priority. So from that sense, I don't really understand why the deal was done. But purely, purely from a footballing perspective, I actually don't mind this this deal so much. If Nuno Santos is going to be playing sort of left wing back, left midfield, then if you look at the options that they've got for left-sided forwards, I don't think they've got as many as you think. You know, Edwards is a right forward. Uh, Trincao is a right-sided forward. Paulinho is a centre forward and Pedro Gonçalves is the kind of player that comes in off the left. And I think Arta Gomez will be that player that comes in off the left. I think he's a, a Bruno Tabata replacement. You know, that's what he is. He's not someone who's going to play every game. We know how much Amarim liked Tabata. You know, he was a utility man, a player that he could trust. And he was a right foot player that came off the left side. So I think from that perspective, I don't mind the signing. But yeah, I agree. It was not the priority at all. So from, from that sense, I was surprised to see the deal done when that €4 million Euros probably could have been spent elsewhere. We should talk about Estoril Barney. I don't really have that much to say on them other than the one downside for me from their performance was that they could have done more to capitalise on the second half. As I said, in the second half, I don't know what happened. And this was the only alarm bell that rang for me. But the quality levels dropped from Sporting quite a lot in the second half. They really didn't create much. They didn't look like the same team. And I think, in a sense, a door was opened in for Estoril to potentially get something from this game, which they failed to do. Obviously, they leave the game with nothing. But on balance, a game against Sporting, that's always a realistic possibility. I think that perhaps that comes with having such a young team, you know, it's perhaps having players in that 11 who would, like you say, sense there's blood, you know, let's think, look around and say, come on, let's, let's, ha- let's actually go for it now. I think maybe that comes with the sort of inexperience, but then uh, the players I wanted to praise are both incredibly young. Thiago Santos at right back, uh, once again, has been brilliant. Uh, I, I thought uh, really, really good. And uh, more in the eye, the, the exported B defensive midfielder, physically you know he's very good really strong good defensively like really works well but I thought his passing as well he made good decisions pass quickly um so I think uh yeah I, I thought they, they were the sort of standout ones for me but yeah I think you know this is astral you know still I thought they still was all right in moments this is a, a good astral team and they, they've, they've definitely got more to offer the last thing I want to touch on in this game Barney is uh, an award that was given to Sporting as a result of this game. And I want to get your opinion on this award. I don't know if you've even seen this or know what I'm about to say. Um, because after this game, League of Portugal awarded Sporting, I think it must be a joint award, therefore, between Estoril and Sporting, but they were awarded for having the game of the week with the highest percentage of actual playing time. I believe this game had 
66 or 67 percent actual playing time i can tell by your face that perhaps you you hadn't seen this before maybe some of our listeners weren't aware of this i just want to get your reaction to, <laughs> to what you think of the league of portugal giving out an award for the game which has the most actual playing time on the one hand i think it's good in a way that they're at least recognizing the issue and trying to combat it in some way but on the other hand how absurd and ridiculous is it that the league of portugal having seen the problem they have with actual playing time and thinking how do we address this have not gone right let's make some real hard-hitting choices about how these games maybe you know add some kind of rules to the game we heard patrick suggest something they do in the mls where injured players have to leave the field for five minutes stuff like this how can we do something like that to drastically improve things and their solution is to come up with a bit of plastic that they hand to the teams at the end of the game it's carrot or stick Albert. carrot or stick <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's that's absolutely crazy man well <laughs> he doesn't improve um, well look, let's do one more game in depth Barney, and let's touch on santa clara versus maritimo the Islands derby as it was the Azores versus Madeira in the Azores and speaking of teams that needed to bounce back from defeat, Maritimo were desperate for their first points or even just first point of the season after four straight defeats they went 1-0 up in the first half but missed a penalty had a player sent off and conceded two second half goals to fall to a fifth straight defeat, it was a defeat that led to the first managerial casualty of the season as Vasco Siavra was relieved of his duties. We'll come on to that in a sec, but quickly just to touch on the game itself first. What did you make of it? Because it seemed like a game where key moments define this game, you know, sliding doors moments. Maritimo are 1-0 up, okay, and they have a penalty in the first half to make it 2-0 and to go in at halftime 2-0 up. And you think, this is it, they might just be turning a corner but of course, Joel Tagway, a player who's their reliable striker, misses the penalty. They then go into the second half, concede a penalty of their own. Santa Clara score. Two minutes later, they get a player sent off and ultimately they lose the game. For me, this whole game just defined the state that this team is in at the moment. I mean, we we shouldn't have hyped Tagway in pre-season man. I feel like he's cursed now because is that the second penalty he's missed this season yeah possibly and, and not just that man I feel like he, there was, he was taking odd shots you know in poor positions he just uh, really hasn't been the player I, 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 we know he can be and, and you're right I think there's just you know because there was a couple of first half injuries as well changes to the game plan you know everything that could go wrong yeah go. yeah I think the only thing I will add though is I don't know if you agree on this, Albert. Is that uh, Siabra in his pre-match said he had, he had a team of fighters? And I, th- I think I disagree. You know, I think I, I, I think he's been let down a few times by his players. And I, I was there was one instance I remember where there, there was Tagway got the ball got break almost breaking forward really, and then and there was a midfielder. I, forgive me because I can't remember who, but he, he wasn't breaking a neck to get in the box and be an option. It sort of meant that Tagway had to take this awkward shot on from the right hand corner of the penalty box and yeah I, I just think that I think Sierra has been let down by his players man I know we're going to talk, talk about but I think in this game you know there was just a lot of things going wrong and and lack of motivation for me I'd say well let's talk about Sierra now Barney we obviously speculated in the last few weeks whether he would be the first to go interestingly Passos also 
lost this week. They're the other team who are on five losses from five. But as we speak, Pachotto is still in charge. And to be fair, I think they looked better in their last two games, scored two goals against Benfica and did okay against Vista at the weekend, even though they did lose. Um, obviously, we got it to see Seattle go, or at least I am. You know, everyone who listens to the show knows I'm a big fan. It started so well with this team. When he joined at the back end of the last season, this was a really a team struggling for confidence in many ways like they are now. And he gave them that confidence back. And I thought he could genuinely build something really good at Marita Marita, as we know, is a club that has a potential to be a lot bigger and a lot better than it currently is. And I thought he could be a really good managerial decision to, to help make that happen. But this season has been absolutely dreadful. Terrible, terrible performances. Players with no confidence. A style of play that is not working for the team. Where are you at with this right now? Because on the one hand, you could say that this is a young manager who's not been given time. Interestingly, I saw this week, Barney, that Vasco Siabra as a manager has only managed a club once for more than 30 games, which says a lot about you know the kind of jobs he's had. But on the other hand, you cannot deny how poor things have been, um, the way they've been playing. The clear disconnect between the manager and the players. And I don't mean that in like a personal sense, like there's a rift between, but although there may be, I mean that in a sporting sense, there's just a disconnect between what the manager wants the players to do and either what the players are capable of doing or what they understand they're supposed to be doing. And from that perspective, I think I am falling on the side of, unfortunately, that his position was just untenable because it looks like there's the rift between manager and players is just too big at the moment. Yeah, and I would I'd say that goes further as well because I think there's there's a disconnect between you know the the, the players that have been brought in for for Seattle to work with as well. I don't though I think there's one or two there who who given time would have would excelled. I think that you know generally I think Marito's transfer business this this window hasn't been hasn't been good enough for for Seattle. I'd agree um, with that. It's it's hard because like we see so many managerial movements in this league, don't we? And it's sort of renowned for you know quite quick dismissals more often than not, and and I think a, a club to look at potentially is is a club like Porto Menendez who have Paulo Sergio and and after their amazing start to last season, you know they dropped off a cliff a bit and and but they stuck with him right and and we're, and we're seeing them reap the benefits right now with, with how how well they're doing and and I think see perhaps this Seattle's time at Marismo is, is is a good example of. of do do clubs in this league sack managers too early? I, I, we, neither of us know if if given more time he would have done well. But I also feel like at some point, you know, some of these managers do have to be given a chance. We can see how we know how talented they are. We we know you know what we know they have these grand visions of of, of a style of play, and 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 sometimes it comes off in games, and 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 you just. I don't know. Maybe it's just the the turbulence of this league as a whole, because you know it's not only the managers who come and go, players come and go so often as well. So it's hard. But I don't know. I I, I always had this romantic feeling that 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 Maritimo had an ambition and Siabra had an ambition, and, and at some points it felt like a perfect match. But as you said, this season it, we haven't seen that at all. Absolutely. Well, interestingly, the second came the day after the match, which to me suggests there was at least some kind of discussion between manager and board before the decision was made. You know, it wasn't a case of the board saying before the game, right, if he loses the fifth game in a row, we're going to get rid of him. 
It was um, a lovely um, statement as well. And it was a really positive statement. So they, they left on positive terms. You know, there were a lot of positive words about Vasco Siabra that Maritimo put out. Obviously, we don't have inside information on what's going on, but I, I just get the impression from that that in those conversations that they had about what he was going to do to turn the situation around, the board were clearly not convinced that he was going to change enough to change the situation. So I think it's worth remembering, as we pointed out, that he is still an experienced manager. He's not really young. You know, he's not the youngest manager in the league, but he is still relatively inexperienced manager um, and perhaps not experienced enough to arrest um, a situation quite as drastic as this. I mean, we do have to praise uh, Santa Clara as well, because this was the, was the first win of the season, a, mm-hmm. a, a massive result for them. I think Mario Silva was obviously coming under pressure as well uh, himself for his performances so far this season. But um, a huge win for Santa Clara. And and once again, I feel like they're also a team, you know, who, who were sort of, there, there is something there starting to click. Obviously, we've seen Rildo put in a few good performances, although in this game, he, he was very quiet. Bobson as well, midfielders are players who look good. We, we, need, we certainly need to praise Santa Clara for the way they, they turn this game around. Well, look, that's the last of the games we're going to touch on in depth. But of course, we will just run through the rest of the results from the Primera Liga. On Sunday, Casapir played Aruca, a game that ended nil-nil in a game that I'm sure will go down as the worst game in the Primera Liga this season. It cannot be topped. Only two shots on target the whole game and less than 10 shots in the whole 90 minutes. Really, really incredible scenes. On the same day, Porto Menendez beat Family Cow 1-0. It's a shame we haven't had time to talk about Porto Menendez, Barney. I think next week we should make a point of dedicating some time to them because, of course, Porto Menendez, after that win, sit fourth in the table on 12 points, equal points as FC Porto. So, really incredible start to the season. Yet again, another reason why people should probably unsubscribe from this podcast right now because I predicted them to get relegated this season. So incredible start to the season from Port from Porto Menendez. Paolo Sergio is doing a fantastic job as a manager. Um and really, really, really positive signs for them at the moment. Yeah, I think you know we've talked about uh, giving managers a, a run in a team and giving them a chance to do. I think Paolo Sergio's done that. And Jamie, or oh, I was about to regurgitate uh, Jamie Farr's fantastic article because I think Paolo Sergio is figure of the week and he makes some excellent points about the fact how he's kept key players in, but also made a brought in some good young players and helped them play um, sec the left back in particular. I've been really impressed with so far this season. So yeah, they deserve to be up there, man. And a, and a really interesting team, aren't they? They're just, they're, there's always something about them. Yeah. Really interesting. Definitely worth checking out JV Files article on portugal.net all about Palo Sergio. Uh, and lastly, on Monday, Monday nights are turning into my favourite nights for Pereira League of Football, but I need an earlier fixture. 7pm was Boa Vista 1, Pasta to Pereira 0. Really good win for Boa Vista. A uh, really, really good game again for Kenji Gore, who is making himself a key player in that squad. Genuinely, he was man of the match in this game and has proved to be really important for both of us in the season. A first goal for Bojanic, their new signing, gave them the win. And the late fixture, the 9.15 on Monday, I think we should start doing watch-alongs, Barney, the Monday 9.15pm <laughs> games, because they always turn out to be decent games. And it was a decent game. It was uh, Shabbos versus Rio Ave. Or as a uh, friend of the show, Dave Pereira dubbed it, Chaventus versus Real Ave. Um, the two giant killers, they came together, played out a 1-1 draw, but it was a much more entertaining game uh, than the result suggests. Well, just a quick look at the table. Benfica, of course, on top. Braga in second. Porto in third. Porto Menendez in fourth, as we said. And Bo Vista in fifth place. So a lot of teams doing really well. Chavez on eight points are doing well. Casapia on eight points are doing well. 
Sporting currently struggling in ninth on seven points, but I'm sure that they will improve over the coming weeks. And as we mentioned, right down near the bottom of the table, nothing's really changed. Marita and Passos on zero points from five games. And Famalicao, Santa Clara, Gil Vicente, Rio Avrizella, all struggling to get more than five points uh, from five games. So very, very interesting uh, look at the table, even after five games. Well, look, that brings us to the end of the show. Of course, the last thing we have to do is give you our weekly game recommendations for some football that we recommend you watch this week. And then, Barney, uh, I'll let you go first. What is your game, game, game recommendation for this coming weekend of Premier League of Football? I really like the look of um, Sporting Porto at 6 o'clock on Saturday. But, Albert, it's, it's, it's got to be another Monday night one, Albert. Vizella, it's Estra. That, that could be... <laughs> Monday nights is where it's at. Monday nights are where it's at. And it's 8.15 as well, so you get an early night. Very, very decent fixture. Well, look, if you're after the big three games, then all of the big three play on Saturday. Benfica versus Famalicão, Sporting versus Porto Menendez, and FC Porto versus Chaves. But the game that I'm going to go for uh, as a little recommendation will come on Sunday, and that's Creoav versus Braga. I've got an interesting feeling about that game, Barney. Obviously, Braga we know in good form, but Creoav I think are improving pretty much every game they play. So I'm really interested uh, I'm really interested to see that fixture and to see how they go on. Well, look, that brings us to the end of the show. It just leaves me to say thank you very much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you could leave us a little review on Apple Podcasts or a star rating on Spotify. If you want to get in contact with the show, you can find us on Twitter at Football, and we're also on Instagram if you want to message us there as well. But that just leaves me to say thank you very much for listening once again and we'll see you next week. Yeah, see you next week.